can the electronic component supply chain survive without China? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. The Biden administration has been placing a series of new restrictions on the sale of advanced semiconductors and related technology to China. It's just another chapter in the simmering trade war between China and the U.S., but it's causing big problems for the electronic component supply chain. Luke Lasafri, chief revenue officer with Fusion Worldwide, joins me on this episode to give us a glimpse into his world and how it's being affected by geopolitical strife and volatile economic conditions in the high-tech industry. Fusion is a $3 billion independent distributor with more than 20 years of experience in sourcing product for customers, but it's a tough world out there right now. We'll hear about the current gaps in the electronic supply chain, the dominant role that China plays in it, and whether suppliers and manufacturers can diversify their sourcing in order to be less susceptible to the ups and downs of U.S.-China trade relations. Here's my conversation with Luke Lasafri. Luke Lasafri, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bob. It's nice to speak to you. Look, what are the current sanctions or restrictions in place on China that have been imposed by the Biden administration regarding electrical components? There are a number of restrictions that are currently in place. And really, for a company like mine, which is a distributor of electronic components, these restrictions do present a number of challenges for conducting business with China. The restrictions really center on a a couple of key areas. Firstly, certain companies and entities that are restricted from receiving any product from U.S.-based companies if the products in question meet a certain threshold for U.S.-based content, right? These are these are companies that are on certain entity lists, and you might have seen news about companies like Huawei or Inspur Group that have recently come in the crosshairs. The administration has targeted these companies because They're key players in China's efforts to militarize and develop certain technologies like artificial intelligence, right? So Mm -hmm. you're restricted in who you can sell to. Uh, There are also restrictions around what types of products, certainly high-end advanced semiconductors related to artificial intelligence, namely NVIDIA GPU, are restricted, and you can't sell them anywhere in China. Beyond that, there are certain products that are restricted based on the potential end use of that product. The administration is trying to limit China's efforts in a number of areas, military, artificial intelligence, also semiconductor manufacturing. So certain products would be restricted if the end use of that product would fall into any of those categories that I mentioned. And that puts a significant burden on a company like mine to do due diligence when selling certain products. And we have to go through a number of steps to ensure that the companies we sell to aren't going to use those products for uh, the end use or are going to divert product 
to a restricted party or even to sell it to a, a company that's going to use it for military or supercomputing end uses. So it's, right. it's a quagmire, to say the least. Have you been sourcing extensively from China all this time? Do you rely heavily on, on China sourcing? China sourcing, yeah, is a big part of our business. And there aren't really many restrictions about where to source products from. Uh, the restrictions are really about exporting and selling into China. As far as buying products from China, we don't encounter many limitations there. Oh, so it's not a concern so much that Chinese technology is part of systems that are built here, but you're saying it's the other way around. It's the idea of selling stuff to China that could China could, could then turn around and use for military or defense purposes? Correct. There are certainly restrictions around the provenance of, of certain products when selling to U.S.-based companies. If we're talking to a U.S.-based defense contractor, for instance, they're going to restrict who we can source product from. But that's not necessarily a government-mandated restriction. In some cases, it may be. There's a regime called DFARS, which relates to government contracts and the defense industry, which requires that product that is used in the manufacture of technology or, or, or end product related to these contracts only be sourced from direct or authorized distributors. So there are restrictions mm -hmm. there, but somewhat of a more limited customer-specific requirement regulation on the import what, side. What end products are, are we talking about here that are most affected by this? The kind of the components go into these things? So the most obvious product types that, that are affected by this are, well, first of all, the products that fall within the scope of these regulations, which is the Export Administration Regulations, or EAR, are products that have a certain amount of U.S.-based content, right? The mm -hmm. minimum threshold is 25%. So if we wanted to sell to a Chinese company, and the product in question was actually a, a Chinese product, the restrictions do not apply, right? So uh -huh. it's important to understand that the first kind of threshold matter is the level of U.S.-based content. It's kind of a nebulous concept, and it takes a lot, actually, to, to make that determination. An Intel processor, for instance, that is obviously made by a U.S.-based company in Intel, but a lot of the manufacturing takes place outside of the U.S. The subcomponents and materials used to manufacture that product often originate outside of the U.S. as well. So determining whether or not that threshold is, is met is, can be a challenge. But assuming that that threshold is met, the types of products that, that really fall into the crosshairs largely are high-end products in which there's a lot of intellectual property tied up in the products themselves. So oftentimes you see certain high-end like processors related to artificial intelligence like NVIDIA GPUs or products like FPGAs, which are complex in nature and, and perform complex tasks that could be used in things like missile guidance and, and things of that nature. Generally, the more complex the product, the more likely it is to fall in within the scope of this. So again, just to get a, a better, a clearer sense of what these end products are, a lot of it is defense-oriented, is it not? Beyond that, are there other types of just high-tech products that these chips and components go into? What, again, what other types of end products are we talking about other than things that are used in defense systems? Supercomputing? is another end use that's been targeted by the Biden administration. And those are, again, high-end processors that can be used in a supercomputer, as the name would suggest, is actually really quite unique. And these are, yeah. these are machines that often take up the size of a room. 
for instance. So we're talking about really high-end advanced products that aren't like produced for the mass market, right? As a general matter, when evaluating the risk from a compliance standpoint, one of the factors that we look closely at is how widely produced is the product. And if it is mass produced, then the threshold or the likelihood of there being an export compliance issue is lesser. I just want to back up for a moment. There was an acronym, FPGA, Field Programmable Gate Array. Is that correct? Integrated circuit? That it just descri- describes a certain type of integrated system. We want to make sure we didn't blow past an acronym that people didn't understand. I'm yeah, also wondering, though, to what extent is what with, with advances in AI and artificial intelligence systems and machines, I wonder if there's more at stake now that we're having much more sophisticated products being made, these components are being incorporated into things where they have just much more of an effect on national security and the degree of AI that various countries are developing. Is there a link there, do you see? Certainly, yes. I think there is a lot at stake. I mean, obviously, the administration taking a step in this manner of trying to restrict China's development of AI capabilities, I think, speaks to just how much there is at stake. I mean, these moves are not without a lot of precedent. They do harm U.S. business and U.S. business interests. The U.S. government is actually acting in a way that affects U.S.-based companies and limits their ability to profit and make money in, in what is the biggest market in the world for these products. There has to be a compelling reason for it. If the U.S. government is going to limit China's advances in the field of artificial intelligence, there's certainly a military national security reason for that. And it's certainly going to help. The U.S. already has a significant lead in that. And the ability of China to close the gap is certainly going to be affected by that. And, and to be sure, reports are already coming out just in the last few days about how these restrictions are really making an impact and affecting mm-hmm. a lot of the companies that were specifically targeted, like Inspur that I mentioned. In the realm of artificial intelligence, the restrictions are having the intended effect. So what then are the major gaps in the electric or electrical component supply chain that you're experiencing right now globally? Well, to be sure, the last two years from a supply-demand balance standpoint have been historic in nature and have been very much skewed towards undersupply of all manner of components. And that period of time, we really traced to the beginnings of 2021 and ran through 2021 and for the most of 22 have now really begun to normalize. And so the number of gaps that we are seeing has decreased considerably to the point where it's more common for us to see a surplus of electronic components. Is that a function of demand just having slackened off a little bit recently? Or, or why is that the case all of a sudden? I think demand tapering and weakening in a lot of segments is the primary factor. I think another aspect to it is that manufacturers have certainly been trying to add capacity to be able to produce more components, which is going to help bring down lead times and get more product to market. But this really predominantly has been a function of, of demand tapering in a lot of segments, certainly where demand was outstripping supply. Okay, so maybe things have eased off a little bit, but if we look at this in the long term, you certainly don't want your business to be held hostage to regulations, restrictions such as those imposed upon China by the Biden administration or any administration for that matter. How then do you see going forward we might address this issue 
with some solutions in terms of diversifying supply, domestic production, uh, production in so-called friendly countries. Is there a prospect for this happening that you would not be subject so much to the whims of government and these diplomatic problems going forward? The geopolitical aspect of, of the supply chain is something that can present a lot of challenges to companies and certain regulations that have been put in place have caught companies unaware, certainly tariffs being imposed in, in recent years have created gaps and, and challenges for companies to confront. I think the best solution or the best way, you, you mentioned diversification, is probably the easiest way by which a company can safeguard against unforeseen events and changes in circumstance. And diversification can exist on a number of levels, not just from a supplier standpoint, but also supplier type. Many companies source from have different types of suppliers, direct manufacturers, authorized distributors, but also distributors that are operate more on a sourcing model that can be used on a as-needed basis when gaps in supply arise. You could turn to alternative suppliers in case of uh, problems with, with uh, like a, an A supplier, for instance. Go to of a B course. or something. Yeah, Right. And that alternative supplier that you mentioned, I think, does need to be more of a regular and core part of a company's supply chain strategy, in part because the incidence of disruptions and challenges, in all likelihood, it's certainly increased in recent years. And a lot of signs point to these challenges and disruptions becoming more frequent in mm -hmm. the years ahead, given everything that's going on. And one thing that we've recognized is that companies are seeing the need to have alternative suppliers that were once seen as kind of a break glass in the case of an emergency last resort as uh -huh. being something that needs to be more of an integral part of their supply chain and sourcing strategy. Well, realistically going forward, will you expect China to continue to be a major part of your own business, or will you be looking to diversify your customer base, your sourcing base, in order to rely less on China and other countries that might be problematic from a U.S. Uh, security standpoint? Yeah, I certainly think that the need to diversify and be less reliant on China, that's a foremost strategic initiative for, for our company and, and should be for companies like us. The expectation that China will be a part of our business is just not something that we can rely on going forward. And certainly the possibility of China just becoming completely removed from our world, should there be an invasion, for instance, of Taiwan, I think the whole electronic supply chain would be turned on its head, and we have to confront that reality. But we're not ready for it right now, you think? No, no. And, and there's really, I don't know how we could possibly prepare for an event of that magnitude. I think it would be cataclysmic, and no matter how we prepare for it, but certainly we're looking at China as something that we have to have as part of our business now, but efforts to diversify and, and become less reliant on it are certainly underway. It's easier said than done. Yeah, well, as you say, uh, easier said than done. You don't turn on a dime, especially if you're talking about if you get down to semiconductor manufacturing the like, what it takes to stand up a new fab somewhere else in the world, billion dollars, five years. I don't know. Those are estimates, but uh, you, you're not going to see this change overnight, are you? No, you're talking about doing a, a U-turn with a battleship. It's a slow and arduous in process that don't know if we could even fully get there. The decoupling that's going on in the world from China and between the U.S. is certainly a tall order. I think overall, it's one that 
will leave the electronics supply chain worse off, at least from a cost and flow of goods standpoint, and I, I think will result in higher prices for buyers and, and a lot more challenges in terms of getting supply. For my company that makes its bread on helping companies deal with disruptions, it's certainly going to keep us busy in the years ahead. Well, Luke Lasafri of Fusion Worldwide, thank you so much for kind of painting a picture for me of the current electronic supply chain, some of the problems and challenges, and maybe some hope for change in the years ahead. Thank you very much for being with me. Thank you, Bob. That was my conversation with Luke Lasafri of Fusion Worldwide, talking about the electronics component supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well. See you next time.